you for that reminder, that truth this morning. We are loved by you. It says in the Bible that there's no greater love than to lay down a life for a friend. Remember that Jesus calls us friend, that calls us sons and calls us daughters, and he laid down his life for us. And to be reminded of that and to remember that and to acknowledge that is a powerful thing. You know, as a nation, actually around the world yesterday, Remembrance Day, people remembered the sacrifice of servicemen and women and families, people who gave their life because they believed in something greater than just their own personal life. And I don't know about you, but I think it's really important that as a church, but also as individuals, we remember those sacrifices of men and women. We acknowledge that. We honour servicemen and women and family present here with us today and the sacrifice and the cost you pay to do that, what you do. We're also reminded in this song of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. Loz spoke before about being grateful. And let's just spend a moment just in silence. just want you to be grateful for our country and grateful for our freedom and grateful for the sacrifice of men and women that have gone before us and ultimately grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Can we just be still and quiet for a moment? we thank you. We pray that gratitude and thankfulness will be an attitude that we have in our life, Lord God. Grateful for all that you have done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Very good. So groundwork is starting now. So that announcement before about year five to high school age, Pip's standing at the back door at the corner and they're going, I don't know where they're going. Where are you going? Movies, gelato, no, going to talk. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So, yeah, if you want to go. Gelato's not open, so you can't have that. Anyway, have fun if you're going out there. That's good. And uh, just while you're doing that, just a little um, pre-announcement. So the series that we're doing on the life of David, or Davo from Singo, so we're the Aussie version of this, this series. He's from Singo. A bit of, that's in the imagination translation. Remember that. In a few weeks' time, we're going to get to an event where David was a little bit of a naughty boy. It revolves a girl named Bathsheba. And it's going to be PG. It's because I want, to, I want to not skirt around some of the issues. So groundwork will be on that day. Groundwork's running for the next four Sundays. So I think it's the first Sunday of December we're going to be covering that. I've just done a bit of forward planning. And it's going to be PG pushing towards M. So that sort of, I would say, I would preach it for high schoolers, but I probably wouldn't say some of the stuff for primary school age. I'm just giving a warning. It's coming in a few weeks' time. I don't want to um, skirt around the issue, but I also just want to be sensitive to um, the kids that may be here in church that day. So don't worry. A PG sign will come up on the screen that morning to remind you, but there is groundwork on that day, and um, 
yeah, hopefully that works for you and your family. I wanted to give you a, a heads up. I hope you've been enjoying the life, the series. I, I did a bit of forward planning and I've realised I think we're going to be about a 15 to a 16 part series, which has got to be some kind of world record, I reckon. <laughs> I, I, I'm going for it. Today is part eight in our series. So it's already long, but we're just going for a marathon when it comes to the life of David because um, there's a lot of stuff in there in his life. I hope you've been um, learning some things from it. Last time, so two weeks ago, before, so who was here last weekend? I hope you enjoyed, looked after my brother, Slotty. He's left something here. He left his rock over in the corner. Apparently it's too heavy to move. But anyway, um, I hope you had a, a great Sunday. He said he enjoyed his time here with you. We were, as Lozzie said, in Narrabri and Weewall, but it's good to be back. Last time, so two weeks ago, we looked at how David was crowned king over Israel. We looked at the power of forgiveness and being strong in God's strength despite of our own weaknesses. And today, our message is called Dance Party. Do I have any dancers in the room today? Oh, look, he's just walked down the front with the world's most evil T-shirt on that you have ever seen. I've told Matt that all are welcome in this church except for Man United supporters. They have to sit outside. I think that's only fair, don't you? Only fair. No, you're welcome, Matt. Just don't wear that shirt ever again, please. Okay. Is anyone here a good dancer? Does anyone think they're a good dancer? Is anyone married to someone who thinks that they're a good dancer? Is there anyone in this room that when the nut bush comes on at a wedding or a party, you run for the hills? You run to the dance floor. All right, who runs to the dance floor? Hands. Who runs away? Who makes an excuse to go to the bar or to the bathroom? Yeah. I'm with you, Greg. Very good. You don't need an excuse. Okay. When we were in Medan this year visiting our compassion projects over there, we were at one particular project that day and they were doing lots of dancing and they were teaching us their dance moves, which was interesting. There is video evidence of this, which will remain hidden. But then they asked us something scary. They said to the team, they said, can you teach us a dance now? And I looked at Gaz and Gary was not the nutbush running to the, he was running the opposite way. Yeah, you were good. You were fine. You want to come and show? Oh, yeah. Andy's going to show us the moves. There you go. There you go, the nutbush. He's off into it. There you go, Andy. Where were you, Andy, when they were asking to show us a move? There was no one else standing up. So, of course, thank goodness for the water sprinkler, for the lawnmower, and for the shopping trolley, because that's all I had to show them on that day because that was all I had and that was you know that's the dance moves you do when you can't dance but you just know that you've got to pull out something and show off for that on that day and as I said that video evidence shall remain where it is isn't that right Gary we have an agreement hopefully he has he can bribe me so bad anyway the water sprinkling along. I don't know about your dance moves. I'm not going to get any of you to step out of your comfort zones this morning. But this morning we are going to read a passage where King David 
had a bit of a dance, and it wasn't the nut bush, and it wasn't the macarena, and it wasn't the water sprinkler. It was something very different. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 12. So David went there, and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Just pause for a second. In other translations, it says a loaf of bread, a some meat, and a cake of raisins. So normally I like the New Living Translation, but here I don't. Here, read another translation, because this one has substituted meat for a cake of dates. And that's just not right, is it? That's just wrong. Depending on what month of the year it is? Okay, fair enough. But anyway, he gave them some food. Then all the people returned to their homes. Yes, I do get the joke, Matt. Date, I know, depending on the month. Yes, very good. Dance, the dad joke competition is in September every year. You're two months too late. But anyway, we love you. Yes. The, all the people returned to their homes. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. There's a lot in this story, and you may have heard preaching on it from before, but there's a few things that I just believe God wants to speak to us today through it. The thing is, David is leading the nation of Israel. He's the king of Israel, and now he is leading them as they celebrate the Ark of the Lord being brought into the city of Jerusalem. In Old Testament time, the Ark of the Lord represented God's presence to the people of Israel. So where the ark was, there was the presence of God and there was a blessing and anointing that came wherever the ark was. So it's significant to me that the ark is being brought back into the center of where David wants to rule from. He's going to rule from Jerusalem and he says, if I'm going to be king and I'm going to rule from Jerusalem, then we're going to have the ark here right in the center because that's how the type of king that I want to be. And so there is a great celebration Offerings are made, there's food, there's joy, there's music, there's gifts. But there's something about David's dancing that causes this controversy. Was it that bad? Was it as bad as my dance attempts in Madan, Indonesia, teaching those poor kids the Australian dance moves? I have no idea about David's dance technique that day. I have no idea about his style. 
But these are the things that I do know. I know that it wasn't normal for a king to be dancing in public like this. See, dance and music were important parts of the Israelite tradition. For the Jewish people, celebrations involved music and they involved dancing. But traditionally, it was the women who would take this place of dancing, that would lead the celebration through their dance moves. It was not the domain of men, and it was certainly not the domain of the king to be doing that. It was not a king's place to be dancing publicly like David was. So this is not a normal situation. It is not a normal circumstance. For the king to say, hey, you know what? This is such a great celebration that I want to be front and center, leading the dance party as we come into the city. It was not normal for a king to be acting like that. Then there's his choice of clothing. We read in there, it said that he wore a priestly garment. The word, the Hebrew word is a linen ephod. If we could have the next picture come up, please. These will be appearing in catalogs soon in Maya, David Jones, maybe Target. I'm sure some of you fellas would love to get that on Christmas morning. That with your socks and your undies would be a perfect Christmas Day gift. This is the clothing that David is reportedly to be wearing, whether you like it or not. That's, up, that's your choice. But although David was king, this is the thing. He was king. On this day, he chose to dress as a priest. And that's what's significant. This is the clothing that priests would wear in the service of the Lord. This is the clothing that when Samuel, who was a, a great man of God, was a young boy, this is the stuff that he wore. It wasn't what the high priest wore. It wasn't the robes and the big jewels and stuff. It was more the simple garment of a temple worker or a temple priest. And that's what David chose to put on on that day. As David is publicly dancing with all his might, he's being watched. But he's being watched dancing. Kings don't dance. And he's being watched wearing what priests wear, not what kings would wear. He's being watched by one of his wives. Yes, he had multiple wives. We'll get to that in a later series. We read that as he was watching as she was watching him, she is filled with contempt for him. Other translations say this, that she despised David in her heart. When David had finished bringing the ark to where it was going, he sent all the people home with gifts. He blessed them. He returned to his home and his family. And it says that she was waiting for him. You know when you're a kid and you've done the wrong thing? This happened to me once. I know it's very hard to believe. We'll blame my brother because he was here last week. But we were once launching these mud bombs at cars as they were driving past our property because we lived on in the bush as 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. Anyway, a car pulled over, as, they, as I would do right now if it was me as an adult, pulled over, stopped and went up the driveway of our neighbour's house and we've all just bolted off into the bush, thinking that by running away we'd gotten away with it. But of course the neighbour has, I mean the person has told our next door neighbour, because the neighbour's kids was with us as well, what we had done. So when we all came back from the bush back to our homes, you know what it's like when you're a kid and you can see mum waiting for you. You know you've done the wrong thing. You know that it, what you had done was wrong and you can see someone waiting for you at the door and you know that you were going to get a stern speaking to when you walked in the door and a few other things involving smacks, whatever else. It was all my brother's fault, I promise. It's his idea. I tried to tell him, no, it's not throw. It's irresponsible. Work, health and safety wouldn't allow us to do that. But no, he insisted. But anyway, 
I know what it was like to return home and have mum waiting. And David returns home, but I don't think he's expecting any, um, any anger at home. He's, he's high on the celebration of bringing in the ark. He's given all the people a gift and he's returning home. It says he's returned home to bless his family. But she is waiting for him and she confronts him when he gets there. It says she goes out to meet him about his behavior. In verse 20, she says this in disgust. How distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. So she's upset about how David looked. She's upset about how the king appeared that day to the nation of Israel. She then accuses David of exposing himself to the servant girls. You know, it's important to note right here, I've, I've grown up knowing about this story and I've always described it as the day that David danced in his undies. But it's important thing to know that accusations and facts are two very different things. And in this story, there is no record of David exposing himself. He's wearing an ephod, what a priest would wear. And we know that Michal is watching from a distance. We know she was offended or despised David in her heart. We don't know why. Maybe because he wasn't acting or dressed like a king should and she expected more from her king. Maybe this accusation came out of that offence rather based on the facts. The point is we don't know whether David did or didn't reveal too much on that day. We know he was wearing a priestly ephod and we know he danced with all of his might. We know that that wasn't normal. But my point is this. We have a widespread understanding in the church that David wasn't wearing much that day when he danced before the Lord. Maybe you've seen a picture like this next one. It's a little bit cheeky. That's probably more the picture you have in your mind when we talk about this story. And that may be true, it may not be. But the thing is this, we've based an entire thought process or an entire belief around David dancing in his based on what one lady has said who wasn't close to the action and had an issue with the person that she was talking about. And we've given it so much weight and so much credibility and if you study it, and I'm not going to go into the study of it today, but if you do study it, there will be some people that say, David was wearing nothing that would reveal anything to anyone. And there's others that say, he was probably just wearing a little tablecloth or a little tea towel in front, and he could have well shown more than he should have. The point is this. Well, there is a point in here. We don't know. Wisdom and discernment is required when accusations are made. Treat them seriously. Don't, don't just laugh them off. But never treat accusations as facts. Okay, and the Bible says that when there's accusations made that you need the two or three witnesses to establish something. And I don't want to get into the details of what was David wearing that day. But I did find it interesting that we do give a lot of weight and a lot of credibility to an accusation that gets made or someone's opinion on something. Let's be people that live off the truth. Let's be people that don't just believe everything that we hear or read on Facebook or see on the internet, but be people that live based on what the truth is and what the Word of God says. David doesn't back down when he's accused. He says, I was dancing before the Lord, verse 21 and 22. He chose me. You know, David was quite, I think he's quite full on in his response, don't you? Like, God chose me, not your dad. It's a way to rub it in her face. One, one Bible commentary said that maybe he could have been a bit more gentle in his response. That's true. Maybe he could have. 
But it's important to remember that David was not Jesus. He was only David. He was human. And if someone accused you of doing something that you believe you didn't and you were doing it for God, then you too might be able to be a little bit defensive as well in his reaction. But we see in David's response, we see a very different attitude. And this is where I want to go today in today's message. We see the attitude of David and we see the attitude of his wife, Michal. Michal was concerned with how the king appeared in public. And David was concerned with one thing, celebrating the goodness of his God. He didn't care if he looked foolish or if he looked humiliated in doing it. He even said, I'm prepared to look even more stupid than I do right now, if that's what it takes. One was concerned with what people thought, and the other was concerned with what God thought. I wonder in the way we live our lives, which one we are. How we live our lives, are we more like David, where we do it unto God? Or are we more like Mikhail, where we're worried how we look, how we appear, what will people think? That's not how a king should act. Which one are we? Proverbs 29, 25 in the message puts it this way. It says, the fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. Too many times I think we don't step into the thing God has for us because we let the fear of human opinion hold us back and disable us. So we don't act even though we know we should. We're worried about what people think. Or other times we do act, but we act out of the motivation of trying to please others or keep others happy. We don't do it for the right motive. We do it to keep people happy. Whether we act or whether we don't act is not based on what God wants, but it's based on what people think. And we choose the option that will please the most people or please certain people in our lives. This morning, I want to spend the rest of our time, the next 15 minutes or so, just looking at this thing. I want to talk to you about breaking the fear of human opinion. I love this quote. If you fuel your journey on the opinions of others, you're going to run out of petrol. But I reckon too many of us live our lives fueled by the opinions of others. Positive opinions and negative opinions. And we let too much, we give too much power, we give too much authority to the opinions of, the, of others, to the opinions of the, of the Mikhaels watching from a window, despising us in our hearts because of what we've done. So what should we fuel our journey on? What truths do we need to know? Here's the first thing from the life of David. Number one, know that you are called and chosen by God. It sounds simple, but it's, it's profoundly true. When David replied to the accusations, he said these words, he chose me, he appointed me. See, David knew that he had been chosen and appointed by God, and therefore whatever he was doing, he was doing it unto God. David knew that these accusations that came against him, it didn't bother him because he knew he was in the place where God had called him to be and had chosen him to be. He wasn't doing it to be popular that day. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to dance in front of all the people like this to show them what a cool and relevant king I am. He wasn't doing it to show off to anyone. He was doing it, it says, unto God. He was doing it because he knew he was called and he was chosen. And the truth is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who has decided to receive the gift of salvation and to give their life to him, that you and I too have been called and chosen by him. See, David knew he was called and chosen and we need to live our lives knowing that we are called and chosen as well. Knowing that you are called and chosen gives you a confidence 
gives you an ability to know, you know what, it doesn't matter what people say because I know that I'm called and chosen by God to be in this place. And others might not understand it. Others might not get it. They might not see what I see or know what God said to me, but I know what God has said to me and I can do what God has called me to do. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this about you and I. It says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Salvation is what God has done for us. But listen to verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has prepared good things for you and I to do. This verse, so much truth. He created us. We are masterpieces. Some of us are abstract works and that's okay. Some of us are only known to the artist and that's cool. But we are still masterpieces. He made us anew when we accepted Jesus. The new life begins following him. And then we he's prepared good things for us to do in our lives. Knowing these truths makes it possible to not live in the fear of human opinion, but to live only in wanting to do what God has called you to do. Knowing that you are called and that you are chosen. Like David, we can do what we do no matter what that is. We do it unto God, not unto man. Colossians 3 verse 23 and 24 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So that means whether you're called to be a teacher, a business owner, a retail assistant, an electrician, a pastor, a golf professional golfer. Any amens for that over there? No? Amen. Whatever it is God has called you to do, do it as though you were working for the Lord and ask him to show you what his purpose is in that role. Ask him to show you what good works he has prepared for you to do in that role. I love what Paul Bartlett talks about. He talks about people coming to you in our natural world. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, you might be, let's, let's think of something, you might be a baker or own some stores and people come to you for a very natural thing. They come to you for bread. They come to you for education. They come to you for you to fix their car. They come to you for legal advice, whatever it is that you do. They come to you to be coached, to play sport, to learn how to play an instrument. They come to you for something natural. But he says, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people who know that we're called and chosen, let them not only get their natural thing that they came for, but let them also walk away with something supernatural because they've had an encounter with someone who knows that they're called and chosen. And it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't mean that you stop everything that you're doing and go, hey, I just want to pray for you, brother, and bring out all these Christian words that they don't understand. It can be as simple as encouraging them. It could be as simple as smiling towards them. It could be as simple as having a conversation with them and getting to know them a little bit rather than just doing a business transaction. But it's about when you know that you're called and you're chosen, you see everything as spiritual. You don't just see coming to church on Sunday as the spiritual act, but you see all that you do as spiritual. Every person that you interact with is an opportunity to be used by God when you know that you're called and you're chosen. When you know that, you walk into your workplace or your school or your home with a very different mindset because you're going, God, what good works have you prepared for me today? What good things have you called me to do today? And they don't have to be huge. They can just be simple little acts of encouragement. You know, you can prophesy for people without them even knowing it. You can speak into someone's life as a Christian without them even knowing that you've done that. 
Because that's what God has placed in you. When you know your purpose, when you know you're called and you're chosen, you can live your life like that. I, I, ask, I pray for you this morning that God would show you, reveal to you your calling and purpose for your life. The thing is, it might be where you already are. It might be right in front of me. You just don't see it yet. And the other thing is, it might be a long way from where you are. And God might today start speaking to you about making steps so that you can step into that calling and that place, the thing that he has prepared for you. Whether it's close or whether it's near, I want to be people that live asking Jesus, what good works have you prepared for me today? What can I step into that you've called me to do? I know this, that as followers of God, we are all called, we are all chosen by him. And I pray that we're on the journey of discovering what that is and how that looks for our life. David knew that he was called to be king. He knew that he was chosen to be king by God. And so that day he danced with all of his might and he was doing it, it said, unto God. May everything that we do be done with that same mentality, unto God, not unto man. The second thing that I think we need to know if we're going to be free of the fear is know that there will always be critics. Or in brackets, hate is going to hate. And I'm not going to sing, don't worry. This morning, we're not talking about being free from human opinion. The only way to be free from human opinion is not to interact with any humans. If you want to go and do that, feel free. Enjoy. Some of you will think that would be amazing. <laughs> what we're talking about this morning is not being free from human opinion, but being free from the fear of human opinion. And David made it clear he wasn't worried what Mikhail or anyone else thought about him when he said, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. I say this to my kids. You think this is embarrassing. I'm going to embarrass you a whole lot more. And I've learned from Michael Bragg. He, he reckons, that's what you've boasted to me about, that you want to embarrass your kids as much as possible. I'm going to take up that mantle as well. Living with a freedom where you're not worried what people think, is an amazing thing. I wonder if David had discovered that in his life, not everyone was going to like him. Not everyone was going to be a fan. And more often than not, it's got nothing to do with us. Maybe after David's brothers looked down on him, maybe after Goliath tried to kill him, after Saul was jealous of him and tried to kill him as well, even though he did nothing wrong, maybe after the Philistines didn't trust him, even though he gave his word, Maybe those interactions taught him an important lesson, that not everyone in life is going to be pleased. Not everyone in life is going to be a fan. There's always going to be critics. I know this, if you step out and have a go at anything in life, there will be people that knock you. There will be people that disagree with you. There will be people that despise you for doing that. But I think to be free of the fear of human opinions, we have to be okay with that fact. We have to be okay with the fact that not everyone is going to like us and that some will even criticize us. We have to be at come okay with that and not, not surprised by it, not shocked by it. That's hard to do. I don't know about you, but I personally, I want everyone to like me. If, if, are you the same? I want everyone to like me. But I can't allow myself to live my life worrying about whether people like me or not. I can't make major life decisions based on how is, is this good, people going to like me because of this decision or not like me. Even this last week, I, I went away for a few days to just have some study and some time away to work on 
um, where we are as a church, who we are, what we are, what's God called us to do, a little bit like the next chapter for us as Real Life Church in, pre- in preparing for next week, for Count Me In Sunday. As Loz said, I hope you can be here because we'll, we'll talk about what we've done this year but also what we feel is next, where we're going. We're, we're going to give to our, our different things and we want people to be on board, Count Me In, that's the whole idea. But the fear when you go away for something like that and you're writing stuff down, the fear in the back of your head is this. Is that good enough? Will people like this? Will they follow it? Is this going to be enough to go, oh, wow, that's cool, Lottie. That's the fear in the back of your head. The whole time you're there. Not the whole time, but some of the time. When you go away and you go, God, I want you to show me where we're going. There's a fear is you doubt yourself and you question yourself and you go, will they follow? Will they like it? Will they still think I'm cool? You might not even think I'm cool right now, but that doesn't matter. (laughs) And I have to break free from those fears if I'm going to do what God's called me to do. But it doesn't mean those fears aren't there. I just have to learn how to break free of them so that they don't control me or dominate me. I have to break free from them. I have to go back to that first point. Going, I've gone away to study for a few days, not for any other reason than unto God. That's why I did it. We have to learn how to shake off any other voice that doesn't line up with God's voice. And there will be other voices. And we have to be okay with those other voices. I'm not saying, important, I'm not saying don't listen to anyone else. Proverbs 12, 15. Fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. Takes wisdom to know what to listen to and what not to listen to. Who to listen to and who not to listen to. Choose people who know you, who love you, who trust you and respect you. People that will have the difficult conversations with you, not just yes people. You know the people that go on Australian Idol or Australia's Got Talent and they cannot sing. It'd be like me going on there and singing a love ballad. Ballad, is that the right word? Ballad. Ballad. A love song. And breaking out with all of my heart and thinking I was awesome because mum and dad and my, all my family and friends all said that I can sing. But I can't sing. No, I'm not giving you a demo. You've got a phone in your hand. I'm not that stupid. Yeah, put your phones down. You need people in your world that will give you that honest conversation that love you, respect you, and value you, but will tell you the truth. And I feel sorry for those people that get up on those shows, not because they can't sing, but because no one's told them the truth. No one's had that honest conversation with them. We need people that will speak wisdom, advice, guidance, encouragement. In a few weeks' time, when we get to David and Bathsheba, we'll talk about how he had someone in his world that had the difficult conversation with him and how it's important. But remember this. Even words from people we respect have to be processed with God because he knows the whole story. He knows us more than we know ourselves. And we have to ask the question, do their words line up with his words? Any word that doesn't line up with the word and the voice of God, they're the words we need to shake off. We need to know that there are going to be opinions out there. There's going to be voices of criticism. But if they don't line up with the voice of God, then don't listen to them. That's why it's important to know point one, doing it unto God, knowing what you're called to do and chosen to do. 
knowing that people, when you do what you're called and chosen to do, people are going to say things and we have to just learn to shake them off and be okay with that. And it leads to my final point this morning. Number three, live with a clear conscience. Some people don't care what others think or say about them, but they're just rude and arrogant. You ever met one of those people? They don't care if they offend you. They don't care if they upset you. They're totally free, but they don't even care what God thinks either. It's like they don't care what people think and they don't care what God thinks. They only think about what they think. Don't be one of those people either. They care only about what God thinks. Paul, in his letters to the churches, he said often about his life and about the people he was talking to, he talks about living with a clear conscience. He would encourage his pastors and leaders to live with a clear conscience before God. When he was on trial, he said these words, Acts 24, 16. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. What's he saying? He's saying he tried to do the right thing by God and by people. Paul, like David, experienced that not everyone liked him and he couldn't help that. What he could do was keep a clear conscience before God and people. If there was something eating away at him, a wrong that needed to be made right, a misunderstanding, an argument, something he could address, he would do his best to address it. Last time we, we talked about the need for us to forgive and how unforgiveness is like poison in our lives, eating away at us. Living with a clear conscience means we do our best to address unforgiveness in our lives. We do our best to address the issues that might be eating away at us when we recognize it. And when we don't recognize it, we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that makes us aware of it. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, this is what the Holy Spirit would do when he comes. And he has come. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. John 16, 8 and 13. Verse 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. He will show us what we've done wrong. He will make us aware of the things that we are doing that are not right and are not of him. And verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You know, I think sometimes as a church, we get tempted to take on the role of the Holy Spirit and point out people's sin. And I'm not saying we need to hide away from what we believe, but I'm just saying we need to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. We need to be able to trust the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. The Holy Spirit wants to lead and guide us into a truth That sometimes involves correction, but it's his voice that we listen to. Because ultimately it comes between us and God. And only he really knows what's in our hearts. Living with a clear conscience does not mean perfection. Living with a clear conscience simply means doing our best to live right before God and right before people. When it comes to what we can control what we can do, what we can say, what we can initiate, we will do what we can to live right before God and before people. And God knows our hearts. Psalm 44, final scripture for today. Verse 20 and 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands in prayer to foreign gods, verse 21, God would surely have known it, for he knows the secrets of every heart. God knows the secret of my heart. He knows the things that are unresolved. He knows the things I'm holding on to. He knows the hurts. He knows the doubts. He knows the fears. He knows the things I'm grateful for. He knows every secret of my heart. 
And the writer of Psalms says, there's no way you can hide your intentions from God. He knows what's going on. But the amazing thing is this. God knows every secret and every detail and he's not put off one bit. He's not scared away. He's not put off and saying, I can't relate to you till you sort this out. He just wants to be with us. He knows our humanity and he knows we need help. Jesus knows, God knows that we can't stand before him with a clear conscience without his help. So he gives us help. He gives us a way. He makes it possible for you and I to stand before him with a clear conscience. He gives us the way to be able to stand before him with a clear conscience because he is the way. He is the way that I can stand before God with a clear conscience, not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. Can the creative team come? We're going to finish. I want us to be people that can live free. I want to be a person that can live free of the fear of human opinion, knowing that God has called me, knowing that people will doubt and people will say what they like, but that doesn't matter because I only am concerned with what God says about my life. But I still want to be able to stand before people and God, knowing that I've done what I can to live with a clear conscience. And Jesus made a way for us to have that opportunity. For those of you that don't know, the way was for Jesus to send, for God to send his only son, Jesus. He lived a life without sin, but still gave his life, dying as a criminal would, as a ransom, as a punishment for our sins. And Jesus, we know, did this, and after three days he rose from the dead. He defeated the power that sin and death has over our lives. And he made a way for us to receive eternal life. That is, when we die, it doesn't finish. We can have eternity in relationship with him. By us believing in Jesus, believing that he is the Son of God, believing that he died and rose again, believing that Jesus is what we need to receive the gift of eternal life, by believing in him, we are made right with the God who created us. And we begin to discover the plan and the purpose he has for us. You can't discover what you're called and what you're, cho- what you're on the earth to do without knowing your creator. You want to know what you're created for? You need to know who created you. You need to know who Jesus is, the plan he has for your life. We don't just believe in Jesus for the sake of it. We do it because we can follow him and give our lives to doing what he's prepared for us to do. Living free of the fear of human opinion. I don't know if you've heard this statement before about living for the audience or doing whatever you do for the audience of one. Doing everything that you do unto God. This morning I want to finish with two responses. The first response I want to give is if you're here and you don't know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in a minute I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you and lead you in a prayer that invites Jesus into your heart that acknowledges your belief in him, but also that you want to follow him and give your life to him. And the second response this morning is I want to pray for people that if you're honest with yourself, you still live too much of your life based on what people think. Too much of your life is based on the fear of human opinion. And this morning, you just want to say, you know what, God? I want to break free of that fear. I want to break fear of that control, free of that control. I want to live for an audience of one. I don't want to live for the public opinion of the crowd, but I just want to live on what you've called me to do and where you've put me, what you want, Lord God, in my life. So can we close our eyes across this room? 
And if you want to respond to the first one, you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, then I want you to just raise your hand where you are. You're just acknowledging that you need Jesus in your life. You want to believe in him. You want to accept what he has done for you. And you want to give your life to following him. Then raise your hand so that we can see it because we'd love to pray with you this morning and give you that opportunity. I'll give you a moment and cross this room to raise your hand. We can always call upon his name and be saved. I see your hand at the back. That's awesome. Is there anyone else that wants to join my friend this morning saying they believe in Jesus Christ? For you that's raised your hand, one of our team is going to see you after the service, is going to talk to you, and is going to help you discover who Jesus is and the difference he can make in your life. For everyone else here where our eyes are closed, if you would like me to pray, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer in a minute. It's not so much about the prayer, but it's about you being honest with God this morning. If you want to respond to breaking the fear of human opinion, then I want you to just stand right where you are right now. Just stand straight up. Just be honest with God. Everyone just close your eyes. Respect the privacy of those around you. There's people standing across this room. It's just a declaration saying, God, I want to live my life unto you, not unto human opinion. God, I pray for every person standing. God, I pray that you would give them a conviction in their heart They would know that they are called and chosen by you. They would live, Lord God, their life unto you, unto what you have for them. God, I pray for the courage to break any fear, any control that's holding them back. The fear of of human opinion will be broken this morning as they stand and are honest with you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that only you can do in their lives. We pray that right now those chains will be broken, that they would be free to worship you, free to follow you, free to live the life that you have called them to live in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can take a seat. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you you have a plan for all of our lives. We pray that this week we would be listening to your voice above any else, Lord God. We choose to listen to your voice in our lives, in your name. Amen. Amen. Yes, yes. Well done. Very good. Very good. I loved that. It's hard to live free of the opinion of man as a Christian, isn't it? I find that the hardest because there's a lot of talk about Christianity at the moment and it's a bit negative.